Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. Worthy, amen. So worthy. God is so good to us, amen. He is so good to us. And every time we come in here and we join together in praise and worship, His Spirit joins us. And it comes alive. And uh, I was talking to some people earlier. And one of our, our church members here said, I told them if they want to come to church alive, they need to get here. And here's the thing. I believe this. Church alive is worth the drive. Amen? Amen. I don't mind driving for a good stake, and I sure don't mind driving to hear God's Word in a powerful way and feeling the presence of God. So... It really is true. It, it's, it's, it's worth the drive. And, and, and I believe God's Spirit meets us here every single time. Every single time. And you bring that with you. Amen? Because He's in you. He's in you. Cammie started about a month ago, I think, a series or a sermon called Soul Care. And, I, you know, and I was talking to her, and she said, she said Bub? She always called me Bub. This is where a lot of our people are right now. Dealing with just mental issues. And it's true. I mean, we are dealing big time in not only our society, but in our churches with depression, anxiety, stress, all kinds of things. And it's just where we are as a nation. It's where we are as a people. It's where we are as a church. But it's not where we have to stay. It's not where we have to stay. And Manny preached on depression Wednesday night. Was that right? Depression? Yeah. And it was, it was really good. And, and I, last time I preached, I don't even remember my title, but it was dealing with soul care that Cammie started on mental issues. And if you haven't heard the whole four weeks of messages, go back and listen to them. You can go to our Facebook page, Face Center Church, go to the archives, and you hear every message. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to them. And I said the last time I ministered that I thought that would be my last time to speak on it. But today is kind of 50-50. It's kind of about it, and it's kind of not about it. I'll let, you make, I'll let you determine what your percentage of it you think it is. But I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It'll be on your screens if you don't have your word with you, if you don't have your phone with you, your Bible with you. I want to welcome our online church this morning because, listen, we have a lot of people that watch online from all across the United States and many that can't get here physically watch. And so we love our online church family. We thank you for watching. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. Remember that. Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. 
Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and alive. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 12 years. Not 12 weeks. 12, 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, came behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I'll be made well. I mean, that's where, I did a message not long ago, that's where her faith was. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said, you see the crowd pressing you. And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Remember that? Those two words, the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Father, speak to every one of our hearts here today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to introduce you this morning to a friend, a friend that some of you probably didn't even know you had. This one friend is someone that you may need to revisit and reconsider because you may not call this friend a friend. You may not even treat this friend as a friend, even though this could be your very best friend. You may even dismiss this friend. Ghost this friend. Avoid this friend. But even though you avoid this friend, very few friends add value to your life like this friend. So at this time, I wonder how many of you are probably wondering, who is this friend that I have? How many want to know who it is? The friend's name is, write this down, Frustration. <laughs> frustration. Frustration doesn't always feel like your friend. And frustration doesn't always show up looking like a friend. It's not always perceived to be a friend. But I'm telling you today, listen, that frustration is your friend. And I want to title this message, Dealing with Frustration. I'm calling frustration your friend because when I look at the number of times that the Bible seems to describe friends in the Bible to other people, the Scripture seems to suggest that friends don't just make me feel better. But yet friends actually make me become better. That's a friend. And in an attempt for a friend to assist and orchestrating and, you know, some transformation in my life, at some point, they're going to have to give me some agitation. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. My assumptions are a friend would never wound me. And I believe what the writer here is suggesting 
is that a friend will not ruin your life, but sometimes your friends will injure your ego to preserve your future. Yeah. In other words, a true friend is willing to agitate you if it's going to elevate you. A friend says, I love you more than I love our relationship. And because I love you more than I love the relationship, I'm willing to say some things to hold you accountable so that you don't settle for a life that's less than God's best for you. A true friend holds you accountable. A true friend will tell you, your tr- tell you the truth to your face and not talk behind your back. I'm gonna walk, I want to just... I want to talk to those this morning that you're, in, you're walking in a season of frustration. How many here, are, you're in a season of frustration? Can I see your hand? Okay, and I, I heard God right. Okay, good. All frustration is, now, write this down. All frustration is, is an indication that you no longer belong on the level you're at. It's a gift from God. And I'll go one step further. Sometimes it's God himself. Because God's like, if I don't start allowing frustration and letting you get agitated, you're going to get stuck in places that you know you need to get out of. And you're going to settle in some areas of your life that you've not been designed to settle in. Many of you In here and online, many of you are on the cusp of blowing things up in your life in a good way. Things are about to explode for some of you. And the reason that I can say that with confidence is this. You're more blessed than you've ever been right now. And yet at the same time, you're more frustrated than you've ever been right now. And this frustration... See, I, thought you, I bet you never thought I, I could use frustration like this. This frustration is a divine agitation. It's a good thing. You've got to look at it as a good thing and quit looking at frustration in some of these areas as being such a bad thing. Why am I having to go through this? No, use it as a divine agitation to move you. It's when God won't let you be comfortable. It's when God won't let you just sit in a space that is less than your potential. It's the way God moves you out of things that has, watch this, outserved their season. It's the way God moves you out of things that's outserved their season. And just because it's helped you in your past doesn't mean it's a sign for your future. Because you see, sometimes, Elijah, the brook dries up. Mm-hmm. And God needs to move you to a different place. But if God doesn't start frustrating you, watch this, you'll not demand more out of you. And if God doesn't start frustrating you, you won't demand more out of people around you. Settling, church, is not just revealed in how you treat yourself. Settling is also revealed in how you allow others to treat you. Mm. I promise you, the enemy is upset that you rolled up here in this parking lot to face in church today. 
He does not want you to hear this message. What you're getting today is divine permission to make some adjustments in areas of your life that's going to send you to acceleration, transformation with a little bit of side of elevation. Am I talking to anybody in the house today? God is so good to us, but here's, here's one thing we don't want to do. We don't want to dismiss His goodness. Don't minimize how blessed you are. Just because you live where you live, you are blessed. In these free United States, because people pay the price for you to be free. Don't dismiss that goodness. You are, we are blessed people. How many can testify that you're blessed? Can I see your hand? Thank you. How many can also testify that there's something inside of you telling me, but there's more? Mm -hmm. And there is. I just want to confirm your conviction that there's more. Sometimes, here's what happens. God's got to use frustration to get you to engage in some acceleration. Write this down. It's holy frustration. Listen, I know as well as you do that God does not provoke His children to wrath. It's in the Word. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a holy frustration. God uses frustration to give us motivation. It's God's way of ensuring that we don't settle in places that we no longer belong in. And it's God's way of accelerating things in our life to get things rolling. See, many of us will sit in seasons until the pain of the season becomes greater than the pain of change. Did you hear that? We sit in a season until the pain of the season becomes greater than the pain of change. I promise you, there are people here watching online that can say, there have been times in my life I knew I should have moved sooner. But the truth of the matter is, I had to get sick enough of being where I was at. I had to get frustrated enough to engage, to move in this season that I should have made, should have made the move last season. And the enemy church wants to convince you because you didn't make a move then, it's too late to make one now. But I'm here to tell you, it's not too late to make one right now. But here's what he doesn't understand. There's this biblical concept called, write this down, redemption. Enemy don't get that. And there was this prophet named Joel who applied this, that concept to time. He calls, it, he calls God a redeemer of time. Now, redeem means to buy back. Okay? We all know that. So when God redeems time, He doesn't watch give you more time, he says, I'm going to take the time you got left and I'm going to do so much and the time that you got left, it makes up for the time that you wasted. That's what that means. Now, I don't know who this is for today, but I'll tell you this. God has done for me in one year that has happened in the last 10 years of my life. And I want you to know, church, God can open just one door when God talks about blessing, He doesn't say blessings, He said one blessing. Because that one blessing will take care of everything. God can open just one door, and that one door be so incredible, it makes up for the ten doors that you missed. 
Frustration causes motivation. Acceleration. But it also causes, watch this, recreation. Write that down. Recreation. Frustration causes motivation. It causes acceleration. And number three, it causes recreation. In Genesis, y'all know where I'm going with this, right? In Genesis, God saw that his prized possession, us, his creation, mankind, was not functioning according to his original intent. So he told Noah, brother, start building an ark. Noah's like, okay, what's an ark? So he gives him the dimensions. And God said, I'm going to start over. Noah's like, what do you mean? He said, take two of everything. Put them in, put them in the ark. I'm going to recreate this whole thing over again. Here's what God said. I'm about to do a do-over. I'm about to do a do-over. And here's the thing. If God recreates, if God creates and then examines what He creates and sees He needs to make some adjustments, if God decides to give Himself a do-over, what makes you think that God can't give you a do-over? Amen? And give you an opportunity to to recreate some things in your life. Hear this. Write this down. Your frustration, and now this is going to be hard for you to write down, but write it down. Your your frustration is a gift. It's a gift. Lean in right here, and I, I want you to really get this, okay? Here's the interesting thing about a gift. If frustration is a gift, and it is, your your experience with it, watch, is not determined by the giver. Your experience with it is determined by the receiver. What? A, A giver can give you gifts that you don't even use. Let me, let me break that down for you real quick. Salvation is a gift, but we determine what we do with it. God's Spirit is a gift, but we what? Determine what we do with that Spirit, okay? The Scriptures, the Bible is a gift, but we determine what we do with it. That really hurt. I saw that or not. Right there, smash my finger. Frustration is a gift. But we determine if it leads to stagnation or transformation. We all experience frustration. One, listen, one person can frustrate you to a point you just want to kill them. But one person can use frustration in a way that leads to elevation and transformation in your life. And another person can use frustration in a way that simply leads to stagnation. You don't go anywhere. You just stay stuck in that frustration. Come on, I have the right people in front of me today. I know I do. I know I do. And I believe I'm talking to some people that aren't okay with just being average. I'm not okay with just being average. I'm not okay with just being good. I want to step into all that God has for me. I want to accelerate to greatness in God. Not myself, in God. I want to... I want to experience the best version of me. No more status quo. No more just going with the flow of the crowd. There's more in me and there's more in you. 
We're anointed for more. And I refuse to settle any longer. I thought they'd get one or two hand claps, but that's okay. I'll work, I'll work harder for you up here. Okay. <laughs> now, in these last few minutes, I want to tell you about this woman that we just read about who wants to teach you and I what to do when we're frustrated. Mark chapter 5, this woman is not even a star in the story. She's not even a star in the story. The latter part, of, latter part of Mark 5 and verse 22 says nothing about this woman. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact it doesn't even say her name. But yet Mark opens up in verse 22 and it says, watch this, verse 22 and 23 in Mark 5. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands so that she may be made well and live. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand how significant it is for Mark to put this in here. Here's why. Because Jairus was a synagogue ruler. It means he was elected and he was responsible for supervising worship, supervising the school, taking care of the building. Many of these people had close ties to the Pharisees and the synagogue leaders. And Pharisees did not look favorably upon Jesus. That's what I want you to see, okay? Which means this man probably heard about Jesus through his colleagues. And his first introduction to Jesus from them was probably not a favorable one. Because Mark gives us no record of Jairus ever approaching Jesus before he came into his crisis. Something about a crisis that will cause you to approach Jesus. That's another sermon. So before this daughter gets sick, we have no record of Jairus coming to Jesus because why? He's a synagogue ruler. It just didn't happen that way. That's not the way it worked. And this is just a theory of mine, okay? This is the way I'm interpreting this. That's what I want to tell you. It's not thus saith the Lord. This is thus saith Craig. 1 Thessalonians 2.1, okay? This is a theory of mine right here. My opinion, my interpretation, this is my, okay, I want, I want to make sure you know that. It's possible that he had formed a conclusion about Jesus based on the jaded perspective of his peers. Isn't it amazing how people can form opinion about you that don't even know you? Talk about you. They don't even know you. But when his daughter gets sick, when what he gave birth to starts losing its life, he runs to the same man that his peers and his colleagues were probably talking trash about. Jesus was valuable to his life all along, but it took the right crisis for him to see Jesus' value. Just because, church, people don't see your value doesn't mean you don't have value. There's nothing wrong with your value. There's something wrong with their vision. So don't question your value. Question their vision. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. But if you keep on talking, God will arrange a crisis. 
that forces you to value and forces you to see value that you didn't recognize in a previous season. He comes to Jesus and says, my daughter's dying. I need you to come to my house and lay hands on her. Now, here's the thing. The daughter isn't there. The father is. Jairus is there. The daughter isn't in a position to approach Jesus directly. But Jairus does. This is good. What's this? So it's not the faith of the daughter that's at work here. It's the father's faith. You see that? Now I know we've all heard about intercessory prayer. We use it around here a lot. But this text reveals intercessory faith. There are some people in your life that are incapable of believing for themselves. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, look, what about Lazarus? Great example. Jesus responded to the faith of who? Mary and Martha. And Jesus responded to Jairus' faith. Now, I want to show you something that I've never seen in all my years of studying the Bible. And I've been reading it since I was 12. I've been preaching since I was 23. But I've never seen this this way. Look at verse 24 again. Mark 5, 24. And so Jesus went with him. Stop. Some translations say, and he went with him. So Jesus went with him. Most of the time in Scripture, we see people, what? Going to Jesus. Going with Jesus. But the text says that Jesus went with him. <laughs> this is the kind of faith that I want to have. I just don't want to have the kind of faith that just allows me to walk with God. I want to have the kind of faith that causes God to walk with me. That wants to go with me. How many want that kind of faith? I want the kind of faith that's attractive, that God wants to walk with me. So Jesus goes with him. Church, this, this is how we make it every day. Jesus goes with us. When you were wrong, he was with you. When you tried to walk away, he was with you. And he protected you. Sovereign grace. Paul talks about it when he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Sovereign grace. Even when Cain was wrong, God corrected him, judged him, but then marked him. And the marking was for his protection. Hear that? The marking was to let everybody else know, you can't touch him. He's wrong, but don't you touch him. He should have did what he did, but don't you touch him. Verse 24 again. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. A large crowd pressed around him. Here's the thing. Listen, don't miss this. While he's walking to Jairus' house, a woman who's dealt with an issue of blood is there. And it says her issue, watch this, her issue was causing issues. Write that down. Her issue was causing issues. Sometimes our issue causes a whole lot of other issues. The issue is an issue of what? Blood. And the issues, plural, are financial because she spent all that she had trying to fix that one issue. Next, 
is relational because according to the custom of this day, the writer talks about it in Leviticus. Leviticus 15.25 says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge shall, shall continue in uncleanness. Hear that? As in the day of her impurity, she shall be what? Unclean. So she is in isolation. Quarantine from her family. Quarantine from her friends. Quarantine from her loved ones. Not for 12 days, 12 months, 12 weeks, 12 years. There's no DMs floating in on Facebook or Instagram. No social media taking place. So how does she get encouragement? How does she get help? I'm trying to set this up so you can see the miracle before the miracle. She made it 12 years under those circumstances. Sometimes we get so busy looking for the next miracle that we miss the one we're already in. 12 years! Don't miss the one. Don't miss the miracle you're already experiencing, some of you right now. We want to jump to the fact where Jesus deals with her issue of blood and we're missing the fact that this, she survived it for 12 years. Sometimes a miracle isn't just seen in the deliverance. Sometimes the miracle is seen in the survival. I need to say that again. It's not just seen sometimes in the deliverance. It's seen in the survival. How you manage that for weeks, months, years, whatever it may be. Some of us need to look back at some of the things we survived. <laughs> and some of the things that you made it through that should have wrecked your life. Don't, write this down, don't miss a miracle looking for one. She's quarantined. she got nobody to talk to. Mark says that she says to herself, because nobody else could say it to her. So she said it to herself. Because the most important person, church, that you will talk to beside God is you. You. And for some of you, some of your frustration with people in your life is really God's way of giving you some education. <laughs> God is saying, you're upset with them because they're not there. But I supernaturally, God says, sabotaged your codependency. Because when the bottom fell out, you called them first and not me. Woo. When the bottom fell out, you ran to them for solutions, not me. And you believe so much in them that you've stopped believing in yourself. And you've stopped trusting me. So I'm going to put you in a season of isolation and quarantine where you can't tell anybody what your issue is. And when no one else can talk to you, you've got to talk to yourself. So what's she say? If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be made whole. She didn't talk to Jesus first. She talked to herself. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Having a conversation with herself. Some of us have put our faith in a process instead of a Savior. The Bible says, now faith. 
is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What faith? Now. Now faith. Not yesterday's manna, not yesterday's faith. Now faith. Okay, I've got to wrap this up. We just read in Leviticus where it says she's unclean, but we also read in Mark 5, 24, where there was a crowd, large crowd around Jesus. So for her to get to Jesus had to be, you know, she had to get to that crowd, which means she was breaking religious protocol. She wasn't supposed to be there. Why? She's unclean. These people's proximity to her has rendered her and made her unclean. She can't do it. She's not supposed to do it. But when you need a miracle, <laughs> you distinguish between religious protocol and faith that expresses itself through works. She tried it the religious people's way, which led to much frustration, I'm sure. And she came to the conclusion of, forget y'all. She was Oklahoman. She's sooner. She said, forget y'all. I'm Alabama people too. You, you qualify. You qualify, Alabama people. Love me some Alabama. I'm touching my Savior. She touched him. And what happened? Jesus stopped. Think about it. When we use faith, we're using faith to get Jesus to what? Move and do something in our life. But this woman's faith made him stop. I wonder how frustrated she was that she had to get to the multitude of people to touch Jesus. But her faith trumped her frustration. Because sometimes the frustration that you feel will motivate you to do things that only Jesus can respond and say, that kind of faith moves me. That's why frustration can be your friend. When she touched Jesus and was made whole, the Bible says she told him the whole truth. She told him her entire testimony. Hear this very carefully, church. Not everyone can handle your testimony. Sometimes you just got to say, He delivered me, and let that be enough. Is there anybody here that God has brought you so far that the only person that can handle your whole testimony is Jesus? I, I know that's right. The text says, Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. But that's not the part of the text that stuck out to me, okay? I got four minutes. Here's the part I want you to see. He told her to go in peace. And I talked about this several Sundays ago. The text never said she had a peace problem. She had an issue of blood. But the, but the Bible says, that he told her, you go in peace. Why do you think he told her that? Here's my theory on it. He probably told her that to go in peace because she's healed physically, but still wondering mentally, how long is it going to last? How, 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 long, how long until this comes back? I know it's stopped now, but when I wake up in the morning, is it going to be back? Well, and don't dismiss her and say, well, she, she had no faith in it. She's had it for 12 years. I guarantee you she had to be thinking those thoughts. That's how the enemy works in our mind. He wants us to doubt mentally God's capabilities. The go in peace 
is just as important as your faith has made you whole. Because if she didn't get that, she could have potentially lived the rest of her life physically healed, but mentally tormented. We have to come to a place in our life that we get sick and tired of the emotional torment. The fear you have about the future, it's literally tormenting some of you waiting for the bottom to fall out. I know it's good now, but when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? I used to be right there. Yeah, it's good now, but something's fixing to happen. Could it be that you can't experience the joy of the Lord because of the fear and torment of the future? I believe this is where this passage takes us today. We're tired of being frustrated mentally and physically to a point where we can't enjoy God's goodness today. I want you to be free from that issue because that's the issue that has you bleeding. You're bleeding out peace. You're bleeding out joy. You're bleeding out focus because you're being tormented by this thing called fear of the future. I'm going to stop right there. Two minutes to spare. God is good. God is so good all the time and all the time God is good. Quit bleeding out today. It's time to stop. Time to stop bleeding out. Let frustration motivate you. Accelerate you. Elevate you. Quit staying in the pity party of being frustrated. Use it. Use it to your advantage. Use it to catapult you. Use it to move you. Spiritually, physically, mentally. Use it. Father, I thank you for this day, for these awesome, incredible people that are here today and watching online. Father, I thank you that we leave here with a better understanding of how to deal with frustration. Not just to look at it negatively, God, but how, how we can use it to elevate and move us and transform us in some areas of our life. But Lord, how we can understand that we need peace in our hearts, peace in our minds. Lord, you've got the issue taken care of. So Father, stop the bleeding mentally in our minds. If that's you, and I had to bad eyes are closed, I'm not going to call you the front, but if that's you and you say, man, there's some things I'm literally bleeding out mentally that I'm just having trouble dealing with, let me see your hand right now. Amen. Yeah. Hands everywhere, huh? God, every hand represents a heart. Every hand represents a mind, a soul. Father, whatever it is that they're bleeding out in, Father, clot it in the name of Jesus. Stop it. Release them from it. Mentally, maybe physically, spiritually, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Everybody repeat this with me. I receive, I receive peace. peace. I, receive I receive God's healing. God's healing. I, receive I receive in my life, in my life. The, ability the ability to step up, to step up. and say, devil, your assignment's broken. I'm a victor. I'm a victor. 
point. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap. You are. You are a victor. You are. Man, thank you so much for being here today. I'm telling you, folks, and I'm saying this by faith. There's coming a day when if you don't get here early enough, you won't find a seat. I'm prophesying that. Because I believe that God is raising up people that are hungry for the word. And one thing that I can guarantee you, that's all that's ever going to come out of here, this pulpit, is the word. We're going to preach it, we're going to preach it, and we're going to preach it. And, and I know that you are inviting people. I see it. I meet them every time they come in. I meet people. How, how'd you find out about us? Well, so-and-so invited me. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. Family, bring in family. It's going to get terrible English, but great analogy. It's going to get gooder and gooder. It's going to get gooder and gooder.